To the weekly review. It is Friday, November 13th, coming at you from Mutiny Radio here in the Mission in San Francisco. We've got a great show for you today. Uh, uh, Tom Amiano will be on the show. Tom Amiano was uh, he's an assemblyman and an activist and comedian and teacher and all around just really inspiring fellow. So very much looking forward to speaking with him today. So not much. Sometimes I begin the show with some personal rants. Uh, I'm going to go right into the news today because I feel that's just the, the best way to do it. Not much. I guess there's always plenty to rant about, but I'll, I'll do the news first and then perhaps some ranting will will come afterwards. Also, we'll be joined by Molly, uh, previous co-host of the show. So very much looking forward to having her back here in the studio. Um, so it was Veterans Day uh, uh, recently, this past Wednesday, and uh, th- you know a lot of folks on, on social media were, were posting their pieces here and there about it. And I read an article that I thought was really uh, important to share. So this comes from Common Dreams, and the title of this article is Don't Thank Me Anymore, Just Care for Veterans Who Return and Work to End All War. And this was written by Michael McPherson. Uh, <clears throat> This past Saturday morning in St. Louis, Missouri, I was walking home when I saw uh, people gathering and portions of the street being blocked. I live downtown, so I could have been another run, walk, or festival. I asked someone who looked like a participant, and he told me it was for the Veterans Day Parade. I was a bit surprised because Veterans Day is Wednesday. He went on to say the parade was being done on Saturday because planners were not sure if they could get enough parade spectators on Wednesday. I'm not sure if he was right about why it was decided to have the parade on a Saturday, but it makes sense and is an example of our society celebrating veterans but not really caring that much about us. Many years ago, I became fed up with the hollow thank yous and stopped celebrating Veterans Day. Today, I have joined with Veterans for Peace in a call to reclaim November 11th as Armistice Day, a a day to think about peace and thank those who served by working to end war. I'm tired of us vets being used for war, and then many of us being pretty much discarded. Instead of thanking us, change how we are treated and work to end war. That is a real tribute. Do you know that an average of 22 veterans die by suicide every day? That means 22 died Saturday, and through November 11th, 88 more veterans will die. Saturday's parade and November 11th means nothing to these 110 veterans. To illustrate the severity of this epidemic, by November 11th next year, 8,030 veterans will have died by suicide. Suicide is the uh, duress challenge facing veterans, 
but there are many others. Recently, after years of higher unemployment rates for veterans who joined the military after September 11, 2001, than their civilian counterparts, veterans' rates are lower at 4.6% than the national average of 5%, as reported in USA Today, November 10, 2015. Yet veterans between the age of 18 and 24 continue to face high unemployment at 10.4%, nearly identical to the 10.1% unemployment figure for civilians in the same bracket. However, these numbers do not tell the full story. Due to the slow economic recovery, many discouraged people have dropped out of the job market. Good-paying jobs are hard to find. Well-paying, low-skilled jobs nearly don't exist. Veterans negotiate these same obstacles while at the same time facing other challenges. Homelessness continues to be a major problem for veterans. According to information from the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans, we veterans face homelessness because of mental illness, alcohol and or substance abuse, and co-occurring disorders. About 12% of the adult homeless population are veterans. The site goes on to say that roughly 40% of all homeless veterans are African American or Hispanic, despite only accounting for 10.4% or 3.4% of the U.S. veteran population, respectively. Nearly half of homeless veterans served during the Vietnam era. Two-thirds served our country for at least three years, and one-third were stationed in a war zone. Added to this shameful reality, 1.4 million veterans are considered at risk of homelessness due to poverty, lack of support networks, and dismal living conditions in overcrowded or substandard housing. Rates of post-traumatic stress are, of course, higher for veterans than civilians. No surprise there. To that we add what some call the new signature wound for the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, traumatic brain injury, or TBI, primarily caused by improved explosive devices. A December 2014 Washington Post article reported that of the more than th uh, 50,000 American troops wounded in action in Iraq and Afghanistan, 2.6% have suffered a major limb amputation, the majority due to an Im Im improvised uh, explosive device. After we are injured in war, what happens when we come back home? Today, we have veterans from World War II through the current conflicts trying to access Veterans Affairs health care. That is 74 years of veterans from too many conflicts, wars, and military actions to list. We have all heard about veterans waiting for months and sometimes years for care. Perhaps you have heard the horror stories of veterans receiving negligent care like at the Walter Reed Army Medical Center as reported in February of 2007 by the Washington Post. We keep hearing claims that services will get better and we support our veterans and troops, but an October 2015 Military Times article reports 18 months after a scandal broke over waiting periods for Veterans Affairs Healthcare, the department is still struggling to manage patient schedules, at least in the mental health care arena, where some veterans have waited nine months for evaluations, a new government report says. Could this have anything to do with a suicide rate? The neglect is nothing new. It has been the case since the Shays Rebellion in 1786, led by veterans treated poorly after the Revolutionary War, to the Bonus Army of World War I, when veterans and their families gathered in Washington in the spring and summer of 1932 to demand pay promised that they needed in the middle of the Depression. For decades, Vietnam veterans were denied recognition of illnesses caused by the extremely deadly chemical dioxin in Agent Orange. 
Gulf War veterans are struggling with Gulf War syndrome. And now, the challenges faced by returning troops today, the madness and suffering, will not end until civilians demand a different way. Maybe because you don't have to fight the wars, you don't care. I don't know. But with all the above I outlined, I repeat, don't thank us anymore. Change the above and work to end war. That's real thanks. And this work is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution share. Uh, and Michael McPherson, the author, is the executive director of Veterans for Peace and veteran of the Persian Gulf War, also known as the First Iraq War. Michael's military career includes six years of reserve and five years active duty service. He separated from active duty in 1992 as a captain. He is a member of Military Families Speak Out and co-chair of the St. Louis Don't Shoot Coalition, formed in the aftermath of the police killing of Michael Brown, Jr., so again, you can find that article at commondreams.org. And I think it's really important to uh, actually listen to the folks who, who were fighting and, of course, to, to end war. <sighs> so uh, moving along, I have another story. And this is, uh, this is local. Of course, everything can be local because we're, you know when the, the personal is political and, and vice versa. And this is going more towards the Bay Area. And this is going to the East Bay, and this is from RT.com. Oakland sues Monsanto for long-standing contamination of San Francisco Bay. And this article came out on November 11th. Uh, workers' Compensation Law. Representing injured workers 30 years. Sehabla Espanol called to book of okay. So that was uh, a little note there in the article gonna read on okay agrochemical giant monsanto knowingly contaminated oakland's stormwater and the san francisco bay with a highly toxic chemical for decades a new lawsuit filed by the california city claims oakland wants the company to pay for the environmental cleanup the state water resources control board determined that the presence of highly toxic polychlorinated biphenyl uh, PCBs in Oakland's stormwater threatens the San Francisco Bay's ecosystem and interferes with the bay's use and enjoyment by Californians, the city said in a statement. PCBs were widely used for five decades to insulate electronics and were incorporated into paints, caulks, and other building materials until they were banned by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency in 1979. Despite the 36-year prohibition, the chemicals are a common environmental contaminant in water and in the tissues of marine life, all the way up the food chain to humans. Monsanto knew that PCBs were toxic and could not be contained as they readily escaped into the environment, finding their way into bays, oceans, lakes, rivers, streams, soil, and air, the statement read. Although evidence confirms that Monsanto recognized that PCBs were becoming a global contaminant well before the 1979 ban, it concealed this information and increased production of these profit uh, profitable compounds. Oakland and Alameda County could be forced to spend $1 billion to remove PCBs from stormwater flowing into San Francisco Bay, the city said. The lawsuit is asking Monsanto to bear the costs of cleaning up the contamination. The company that is responsible for this vast contamination should bear the burden of cleaning up our environment, not the taxpayers of Oakland and California, city attorney Barbara J. Parker said in a statement. 
Monsanto knew that its products posed a significant threat to human and environmental health around the world, she added. However, the company chose profits over protecting people, and American cities and citizens are still suffering the consequences. Other Californian cities, other California cities, such as San Jose and San Diego, have filed similar lawsuits against Monsanto, as has Spokane, Washington. It would not be unprecedented for Oakland to win this suit. In May 2012, Swiss agrochemical group Syngenta AG was forced to pay $105 million to settle a class action case, class action case that claimed the company knowingly poisoned hundreds of community drinking water systems across the United States with its weed killer atrazine. The agrochemical giant has a history of poisoning and polluting. In February 2012, a French court ruled that Monsanto was guilty of unintentionally poisoning a French farmer with its chemicals, settling a French president, uh, precedent um, for uh, settling a, excuse me, uh, settling, settling, one second, we're going to play some music and we'll be right back. Don't you wanna love me forever, don't ya? Don't ya, don't ya, don't ya, don't you wanna love me forever, don't ya? Don't ya, don't ya, don't ya, don't you wanna love me forever and make my heart smile? Don't you wanna love me forever, don't ya? Don't ya, don't ya, don't ya, don't ya? All right, and we're back. A few little minor technical difficulties there. So continuing on with why Monsanto is evil, which we already know, but now here are the specifics. The agrochemical giant has a history of poisoning and polluting. In February 2012, a French court ruled that Monsanto was guilty of unintentionally poisoning a French farmer with its chemicals, settling a French precedent for pesticide poisoning. Two months later, farmers in Argentina sued the company, claiming it knowingly poisoned farmers after pressuring them to use Monsanto's chemicals. In November 2014, Monsanto was forced to pay $2.4 million to settle a lawsuit with the U.S. wheat farmers after its genetically engineered strain of Roundup Ready, which was supposedly outlawed and scrapped a decade ago, uh, was found alive and well in Oregon in 2013. It also settled seven other class action suits over similar incidents without admitting any liability. Monsanto also produced the infamous Agent Orange, which goes back to our last story, an herbicide used during the Vietnam War that caused a myriad of illnesses and disabilities in people exposed to the chemicals, including thousands of U.S. military personnel. In 2012, the company agreed to compensate residents of the West Virginia town where its Agent Orange plant was located. 
Under the settlement, Monsanto consented to pay $84 million for a 30-year monitoring program in Nitro, West Virginia, and $9 million towards property cleanup efforts in still-contaminated cities. The World Health Organization said there was convincing evidence that glyphosate, a chemical in Roundup, causes cancer in lab animals and classified the world's most widely used herbicide as probably carcinogenic to humans in March. Monsanto immediately rejected the organization's conclusions as a dramatic departure from the conclusion reached by all regulatory agencies around the globe. The company is currently involved in a lawsuit filed by two U.S. agricultural workers at the end of September. They claim that Roundup caused their cancers and accuse the biotech giant of pressuring regulators to downplay the risks from its herbicide. So there we go. And uh, welcoming back Mar- Molly Trad to the studio. Hello, love it. I love eavesdropping on news articles, bringing up questions like, "Isn't nine million dollars not enough now?" Like, as far as how much that company makes in profits, and does Monsanto know what they're doing, as far as the unintentional versus intentional poisoning of people? Because that, that was funny me that they got France versus Argentina and one of them is unintentional and the other one is intentional and how aware are Monsanto's executives of the impact that their products have on humanity deep questions into human nature while we wrestle with the very very important topic of our own survival so it's nice to be here. I love uh, I love agriculture in the morning uh, or afternoon. Still, still always doing that. Um, it's been a beautiful morning so far, and I'm so excited to hear from our guest who will be with us in just a few moments. Yeah, very much looking forward to having him. And the the first article that uh, we read uh, was about veterans, and it's calling for return to Armistice Day. And so it was, this wasn't quite random because I definitely, <laughs> you know, choose the articles, but I don't necessarily know the sequence I'm going to read them in. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they're mentioning Agent Orange kind of goes back to just mm-hmm. uh, holding corporations and holding people accountable. And if you really want to help veterans, if you really want to help people, we need to hold these like evil corporations accountable for their behavior. Mm-hmm. And not just, not just a day of thank yous, but a whole year of working on policies that support veterans' health, um, veterans coming back into the American community and being supported and loved, and not having people go to war in the first place. Amen. So that generations from now, we will say thank you to everyone who has served in the past, and now we're all still here hanging out, eating Cheetos. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Where not, did, where, not, where Cheeto? I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be so judgy, but okay, I, I'm, I'm sorry. a judgy person. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Person. Cheetos, Cheetos is the wrong thing. That's, uh, yeah, I don't actually eat Cheetos. Um, corn chips? Sure. Corn and chips. Where did the Cheetos come from? I didn't mean to be so um, judgy about that. In my mind, or as far as the laboratory, who invented Cheetos is what you're either asking. Or. Either or works. I don't know the uh, the story, the mythology behind the Cheeto invention. I assume it involves uh, some uh, uh, some orange coloring, specifically because it is so bright and eye catching, like my shirt. Um, sorry, radio listeners, and uh, and also. 
You know, all those delightful mathematical equations they use on their food now. I gotta admit, I love a good orange cheese puff. Maybe not, like, bright orange, but... Um, Do you feel like the the color makes you, like, enjoy it more? Just because it's, like, a visual? Not anymore. I've reverse trained myself. As a kid, uh, Doritos, the original Doritos, were amazing, and they are a fantastic color of orange. Um... But now I, I see Doritos in my brain that's kind of reversed on the subject. I know too much. No, I mean, I think you know just, you know a lot, which well, is good. I mean, I know too much to eat the uh, Doritos. I see. Well, perhaps there's another, I don't think there's another article about uh, chemicals, but uh, we can take a look and see mm-hmm. what the next one on the on the docket is. And and Tom's actually supposed to come in around 1230, so we'll be seeing him soon, so perhaps we can just chat for a bit and then play some music uh, while, uh, while he gets all set up in here. And uh, on the note of food, actually, not an article here, but according to, and don't we love it when people make these references, according to a study that my mom read, whose name I don't know. Um, Your it, mom's name? Uh, no. I'm joking. Yeah. Um, it is more important that you have a good attitude while eating your food than what you're eating. Huh. So, Interesting. I, and I, I mean, I... It, I suppose you could take it too far. Like, here, eat these shards of glass, but smile. You'll love it. But, um, the, you know, you don't have to, uh, like, organic versus not organic, GMO versus not GMO. The most important thing is that you eat the food cheerfully and maybe bless it beforehand, whatever you're into. Huh. Um, and, of course, whenever you can buy the good stuff but i kind of liked that study i've yeah. always felt that way that, that is interesting i like that idea behind it yeah so um one one story that i have up here uh uh from oh this comes from the huffington post and is uh why is the media ignoring ted cruz's embrace of kill the gays pastor and why I guess we is could even, i guess we could even i mean because the media is kind of evil mm-hmm. i feel like i could answer that without necessarily going into the article uh, or the well, fact that the media wants to keep people afraid of one another, and if there's politicians who are into fear-mongering, then why would they really call them out on their... Roman. Yeah. We are the media. We are... We're not the mass media. We're definitely not the mass media. But we're not evil, and we are the media. That's true. I guess we are. Yeah, so let's let's smile as we eat these shards of glass. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> that was my 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 inclination was that big media I should say I should preface that yeah like mass media uh, doesn't really work to uh, help keep people safe if anything it does the opposite and it keeps people afraid of one another and they also just like shock value and well I mean this that is shocking I don't think that's not objectively shocking anymore it's not like it's the 1950s that that's very out of mainstream thought. It's yeah, it's definitely out of out of mainstream thought. I guess we can start the article a little bit and see. Yes, what, please do tell. What happened. Uh, last weekend, Senator Ted Cruz, along with fellow GOP presidential candidates Mike Huckabee and Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal, spoke at a conference in Des Moines headed up by a man who advocates the execution of gay people, mm. per his interpretation of the Bible, ugh, and who made his call for for mass extermination once again on stage at the event. Ew, what a yeah. dick. <laughs> Yeah. The National Religious Liberties Conference, Pastor Kevin Swanson, who's probably a closet case, 
that's my words, not in the article, has said in the past that Christians should attend gay weddings and hold up signs telling the newly married gay and lesbian couples that they should be put to death. Oh, God. What a horrible person. Ew, he was an advocate of the Uganda's infamous Kill the Gays bill, which he saw as a model. Gross. Um, and then, of course, of course, also the that was kind of brought on by, you know, folks here in America who yeah. brought, yeah, okay. Uh, at the confab, confab over the weekend where he introduced, where he introduced Huckabee, Jindal and Cruz to the audience and where Ted Cruz's father, Rafael Cruz, an anti-gay Tea Party crusader, was a star speaker, he reiterated his death penalty call, adding that homosexuals should first be given some time to repent. Ew, before the executions begin. I should have, I always, I, I've started re- reading a, a trigger warning before the show. I forgot to do that this week because I feel like every story is just like going to be so upsetting. So definitely before this article, definitely needed to do that. All right. Um, I, yeah. I know it. I am, uh, you are lightening this for me because when you say you, it ju- I just see you with like a, bucket of moldy milk in front of you like ew I, I don't even know how else to respond to it yeah well, let's see how rachel maddow responds because i'm she's much she can be much more eloquent than i on msnbc i'm not, I'm not even gonna read this dude's quotes who is saying the, the hateful stuff on msnbc rachel maddow using extensive clips of video of the speech that had been posted by the indispensable right wing watch uh covered the conference in depth and was rightly horrified that it even took place and that presidential candidates were there this is a political event. This is a Republican presidential candidates event, Maddow said. It really was a kill the gays call to arms. This was a conference about the necessity of the death penalty as a punishment for homosexuality. But excerpt for scattered online media coverage and blog posts, that was it. But, uh, but except for scattered online media coverage and blog posts, that was it. CNN's Jake Tapper asked Cruz if it was appropriate to speak at the conference before the event, and Cruz dodged the question, claiming to know nothing of the pastor's views and spinning back to religious people supposedly being under attack. But there was no coverage I could find on CNN after the conference and focused on the this evangelical leader who called for a future genocide after introducing political candidates who lauded him. Mm-hmm. As far as I can tell, no broadcast networks or major American newspaper covered the blood-curdling speech in which several times Swanson said the punishment for homosexuality is the death penalty. Um, where... In... Where is the New York Times? The Washington Post covered the conference and the candidates' comments, but didn't mention the Kill the Gays speech. Not news to them, apparently. Several online sources that did focus on the conference placed more attention on Cruz telling Swanson that an atheist shouldn't be president, ew, and on the unhinged Swanson's advice to parents that they should drown their children, Ew, rather than let them read Harry Potter than on Swanson calling for the extermination of an entire group of people at an event at which presidential candidates spoke. It's 2015, and much of the media seem to accept still that LGBT people can be talked about this way at an event attended by presidential candidates, and that it's not news. They view it as par for the course, religious conservatives doing what they do. It's as if they have blinders on. Indeed, if Ted Cruz or Huckabee or Jindal attended an event at which the host hinted at mass murder of Jews, African Americans, or any other group, it would be a massive media story. He'd be forced to answer questions about it at debates, and it didn't come up at the last debate. 
in press conferences and in interviews nonstop. He'd be pressured to condemn both the comments and the pastor, as when John McCain had to dump Pastor John uh, Hagee in 2008 because of his ugly comments about Catholics, or he'd face the consequences. Instead, the current Republican candidates are on the offensive against the media, claiming they're being unfairly targeted with gotcha questions, on, and the media is running for cover. After the CNBC debate and the outrage from the candidates and the Republican National Committee, the Fox Business News Network debate moderators were perfectly accommodating, not that a Fox network wouldn't have been in an been so anyway, throwing mostly softball questions, or when they did ask a tougher one, letting the candidate off the hook with their non-answers. The GOP candidates have whined about how Hillary Clinton apparently doesn't get the same kind of scrutiny they get, a laughable assertion. Ben Carson, in the midst of battling against the media for reporting on discrepancies in his biography, had the gall to claim the media didn't focus on President Obama's controversial former pastor, Jeremiah Wright, during the 2008 campaign. Obama, as we all remember, was in fact under such intense media scrutiny over it that he felt compelled to give an entire speech in which he distanced himself from Wright and then ran as so far away as he could. Mm-hmm. That was based on comments Wright made that pale in comparison to a pastor calling for genocide of an entire people. Swanson may not be Huckabee's, Jindal's, or Cruz's own pastor, but they attended a hate conference organized by Swanson, who introduced them on stage in the middle of a presidential primary race. The fact that it seems to be viewed as just another ho-hum campaign stop suggests we've not come as far on LGBT rights as we all like to tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, I thought that was a, a good article. It's not good, but, well, yeah an appropriate article to kind of go into and we'll be talking a little bit about the history of the LGBT movement uh, in a bit. Certainly important. Yeah. Not, not good as in like gives me warm feelings in my tummy, but certainly, certainly important. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think we might be, might be at time for a music break right about now. Sounds good to me. Yeah. We opened up the show with um, songs by Monica McIntyre from her uh, album, Morning to the Moonlight. And now we're going to play a song which I've played on the show quite a bit before from our good friend Felix Lee. And this is uh, just a beautiful song and always, always love to hear it. So this is called uh, Summer Song Solstice 14.
here. Hi, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, yeah. So give, I'll give you just a brief introduction. You yeah, are very a, brief. <laughs> oh, yeah, teacher, comedian, assemblyman, activist, um, all around. Just um, very honored to have you in here. So thank, thank you, you so I'm, much. I'm glad you asked me. Also, grandfather. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm a no-no, you know, and they live right around the corner, too, so that's so cool. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Am I being cool. picked up and all uh, that good stuff? Uh, yes, yeah. Cool. Great. So um, I have a, quite a few questions, actually. Yeah, good. We can just get right into it. Why don't you just tell me about uh, Mutiny Radio? Is it a pirate radio station? And um, you've been doing it for a while, and yeah. i got to catch up, you know? Yeah, it used to be called um, Pirate Cat, and we were on, on the airwaves. Yeah. Years ago, were you in another part of town? Um, it's been here for a while. Yeah. It may have been before. I've only been here for a few years. Yeah, maybe before that. I think there was another. It was in a garage, and it was kind of around, um, you know, Upper Castro there. You know, it's, I vaguely remember, but it, it was fun. I had to go at midnight. I remember that. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. So thanks for... Yeah. So I think they're, they're on the airwaves, and then the FCC shut them down. For, Maybe that's because, the one. Yeah, and then there was a big campaign to save them, I think. Yes. Yeah. 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 It seems to be like an ongoing thing with the, with the arts world. Thank you. It's, it's true. The struggle uh, continues no matter Oh, what. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. Well, I was interested, um, first of all, just in terms of like LGBT activism. And I was just curious, I have a lot of questions, so I'll get right into it. Um, one is in terms of how to get folks, um, there seems to be a lot of apathy within the gay community, I've noticed these yeah. days. And I was curious if that's always been the case. No, I, I mean, uh, uh, it goes, it comes and goes in waves. You know, the community itself, and I, uh, you know, you got to use the term loosely, community is so fractured by differences, you know, class differences, ethnicity, yes. language, gender, uh, and, you know, always um, uh, expanding in, in, in many ways. You know, um, in the 60s when I, when I got here, uh, one of the reasons I came as a young man was because um, San Francisco had a reputation for being a little more tolerant with, uh, with gay people. In fact, I read a magazine in New Jersey that said San Francisco had Turkish uh, bathhouses where men got together and carried on, and I, I thought, well, that that's kind of kind of enticing. So, um, and uh, when I got here, there was not a lot of political muscle uh, around the gay community, but um, that started to grow as um, the um, as the population grew. You know, more and more. LGBT people were coming to San Francisco probably for the same reasons I did. And then, you know, there was a, um, a kind of a focus point in the Castro. I think that had to do with low rents. Uh, and it all kind of came together when people were looking for redress on, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in those days, if, if a, a straight punk uh, uh, came into the Castro to beat up the gay guys, if you were naive enough to call the cops, the cops would arrest you, the gay person, or the aggrieved. Yes, yes. Yeah, so um, people were getting tired of that. Um, there was a big uh, drag queen um, uh, population, and they, they established this thing called the courts, and you know people would come in drag and gowns, and etc., and the, uh, they would give their money to charities, and they were busted once. You know, the cops came, and it was so silly. You saw these, you know, beautiful drag queens and their paraphernalia being thrown into the paddy wagon, and um, uh, that attracted the uh, attention of some politicos or people who were running for office, and um, uh, they were approached 
uh, to support these this court system, which gave money to tra- uh, so the elected started to recognize that as a voter base, and then in addition to that, um, there were some wealthy gays. Um, who attached themselves more to the establishment here in San Francisco. You know, Feinstein was the mayor in those days. And, uh, you know, she did have some um, uh, acceptance of of the gay scene, but very, very narrow, very proper. You know, you had to, she liked the gay men in their suits and ties and mm-hmm. had no, uh, you know, patience or... Um, or love for uh, the more outlandish, the queens, and um, and of course the sexual part. One time, if you can imagine Diane Feinstein with that Planet of the Apes hairdo that she has, and she said to the Chronicle uh, that the sex clubs need to be closed down. We yes. don't we don't like glory holes. I, so Diane Feinstein actually said glory hole. I thought that was yeah. so. Then you know Harvey Milk emerged. And then with the assassinations, and San Francisco itself was very, um, was very um, eclectic. So you had the peace movement, the women's movement, civil rights. Um, Harvey and I used to go to a place called the Shed. Um, it was off of uh, um, uh, Market uh, by 16th. It didn't open till midnight, and there were a lot of uh, transgender uh, patrons. Oh yeah. Uh, so you know. In those days, it was new. You know, we didn't we didn't know. You know, uh, but he was always very sensitized to the issue, even before um, you know people really started to pay attention. So I, I think what happened with the apathy then was people were looking for equality um, in housing and all the th- a lot of bad things still happened to him, even though they were in San Francisco. And so that I guess the adversity, uh, the attacks on the gay community caused it to be cohesive. I see. And so uh, then people would get riled up and they would drop their differences. Uh, I'll give you one personal example. In 75, I was out gay and teaching and I wanted the school district to recognize, you know, gay teachers. And um, uh, the establishment gays were very nervous about that. They didn't really think that that was a good idea. You know, a lot of self-hate at that time. Um, but we were able to uh, convince the school board to, uh, you know, include non-discrimination uh, uh, for LGBT people in their discrimination clause. And Harvey Milk was always very supportive, where a lot of other uh, gay people were not. Um, uh, so that that led to the, the activism <clears throat> led to people like Harvey getting elected, and that impacted policies in 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 the city. And then. Depending on the attacks, um, the apathy would diminish, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when something was really in somebody's face. Um, and today, uh, there there is a danger in, uh, we used to say, take the ass out of assimilation, mm. out of, you know, not celebrating the differences and as a contribution. You know, everybody sees things through a different lens or a nuance, yes. and that's enriching, and that's what's so great about SF. Um, uh people started to get a little more comfortable. Uh, and one of the messages, uh, you know, I, I was part of the, this gay liberation uh, movement at the time. One of the messages was, you know, not to get comfortable, that yes. to, to keep your eye maybe turned uh, on your backside in a sense, because you never knew if the newfound liberties w- would be sustainable. Yes. Um, and, uh, and that's still a problem. 
you know, and here in San Francisco, we're very comfortable in many ways. And um, I think that class issue um, really was, you know, why it was a downside was with the Prop 8 um, uh, campaign. The Prop 8 campaign seemed to ignore more of the grassroots effort and concentrate on just give us money and we'll do ads. And then uh, what I found out when I was in Sacramento, you know, talking to the um, other caucuses, you know, there's a LGBT caucus, there's African-American caucus, uh, um, Asian and Latino. And talking to them, I found out that there was a lot of um, um, gestures towards the LGBT community, you know, and offering help around Prop 8, and it was rebuffed. Um, and uh, that was that's why I think Prop 8 won, because we didn't, we didn't do the uh, inclusivity that we should have. Um, you know, um, it, it required more activism, and it, it also required more respect for the diversity. So what you got was at the, oh, Prop 8 won. You know, gee, the black people, you know, they, they didn't vote for it. Well, that's, that was a generalization that was disproved. Right. Uh, and, it, you know, it shows some of the um, weaknesses that we still have. And I think that contributes to the apathy too, and a certain level of affluence for some, not all. Um, You you see with the, uh, we kept adding, so LGB, then the B came along and that was part of it. uh, And people educated themselves. Uh, Transgender was was a bigger challenge. You know, I remember talking to gay people years ago and you know, they they thought, um, um, uh, well, they didn't understand transgender number one and then when they tried to get a grip on it they said oh it's the same as being gay no it's not the same there are parallels and you know i think they should be embraced as as part of the general community um and so now today um uh, you know initially some of the more established uh, the human rights campaign you know they're like PACs and they're in dc and uh you know they didn't want to accept um in in the end they didn't want to accept the transgender right. question uh, which pissed a lot of us off and yeah. now that now it's the you know the flavor of the week so to speak and Ish, you, i mean although there still is i don't want to trivialize it but i really want to make sure that whatever we gain we sustain yeah and it's I mean, not just the flavor of the week you know yeah. it's a real 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 thing yeah there still is that like that transphobia within the gay community. oh absolutely and a, and a lot of sexism and there's still like a lot of racism and right racism, as you mentioned being the community, the we community, always in quotes yeah gay liberation means you, you i guess you have the freedom to be an asshole too if you're gay, yes. so, which we could see on the board of yes. soup sometimes but well uh, i think <laughs> i wonder if, if part of that has to do with just the history and young folks coming about now and not really understanding the history especially what happened in, in the 1980s certainly and losing some many people and yes. also not knowing the history of people being arrested and being fired right. and having their lives threatened. Well, one of the things I liked about the, the uh, Harvey Milk film, I like both of them, but the one that, the Hollywood version, you know, when it opens, it shows actual footage of the gay bar being, um, of the gay bar being uh, uh, raided and the, and the men being, in this case, it was men being let out, you know, and then we had a bar here, uh, a, a dyke bar out on Geary called uh, um, um, Peg's Place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, it was a fairly innocuous, you know, sometimes you'd go with a lesbian friend and, you know, people would play pool and, uh, you know, it was in a sign of a, one night, boom, the cops just came out of nowhere and beat the shit out of, of everybody and the patrons and stuff, you know, and uh, so that started to rev people up. But the thing is, you don't want that to to so that you have a cohesiveness, you know. Right. Um, right. We shouldn't be saddled with. I mean, every other movement has had that. They have different layers, uh, you know. Um, but 
in, in terms of the LGBT community, I think you're right. You know, having a perspective on it uh, is really important. That's why, you know, when I teach, uh, I, I teach an LGBT course, you know, our history and well, and it's, it's, it's amazing what young people don't know, but it also is amazing what they're ready to hear. Yes. And, um, you know, when we had the two, they vaguely know about the two assassinations that, you know, Harvey Milk is a bit of a profile now because of the attention in the movies and, um, and the, the increase to political power. You know, everybody looks for heroes. Yes. Um, but you're right, exactly how, how we even got here. And are we going to stay here? Yes. It's still, it's still a big question. And the more depth you have, the more you understand. You know, yeah. You know. Yeah. And as a, as a transgender person, I definitely uh, am just curious also just about the history of it and folks who's, especially with the, with the new Stonewall movie that came out and there was a lot of... Yeah, there was an omission there, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And just how, it, how is history told and who gets to tell the story, certainly. That's, that's a lot of it, you know. And, and, and the other thing is history is not linear it's not a you know not from point a to point b you know sometimes it goes crazy you go back and yes. then, you, then you make leaps um and i i do think the hope lies with the younger people i mean there are older people like me um you know who can, who, who certainly are receptacles of this history and you know um you know mentoring is something everybody likes and you know the young people i know don't want to be lectured or whatever but they do want they do have a thirst for for that knowledge and of course young people just like when i was young you know you live in the present yes and uh you think you're immortal but then speaking of that the aids uh crisis really 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 did shape and inform a lot of what 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 is happening today you know um and that of course uh lit a fire under everybody uh so there was uh, especially in centers like new york um even given the revision of history, uh, you know, uh, we're really, really uh, focused and very, very strong and united about ending uh, the discrimination based on AIDS. And of course, a lot of that was uh, how the gay community was impacted. So, you know, with the bad stuff did come some good stuff, but always at a price and no guarantee that it would always be that, you know, that the gains you make would would be preserved, you know, so. Your so, point is well taken. Yeah. So I was curious about who were your mentors when you were when you were coming up. Well, you know, there was uh, well, Milk, of course. Milk inspired me because, um, you know, he was <laughs> uh, he was so out. One of the one of the issues in the catcher I lived off uh, 16th Street was the police, and yes. and uh, it was really a bummer. And the there was a Catholic church who is now very gay friendly. Um, uh, the Holy Redeemer, and it was mostly Irish Catholics, and they just hated this influx of of gay men in the neighborhood. And then gay bars would open, and then people would hang out. So, uh, in a, like a hail mary, no pun intended, they got the board of supervisors at the time or the police commission to say no dancing. You know, it's always a, like <sighs> those. Why are the Mormons? Uh, why are the Mormons against fucking? Because it might lead to dancing. You know, it's a kind of perverted. Uh, and obviously, when that law went into effect, you know, you just can't tell a bunch of queens and and other people that you can't dance. So of course, they danced everywhere and challenged the police. Yeah. Uh, but Harvey Milk would stand up 
to the cops. And that was brave, you know, yes. because I, I wanted to be outspoken like that too, but I was also afraid of getting beaten up. And, yeah. you know, there was Harvey at 2 a.m., you know, with a crowd around him and, uh, you know, these uh, two cops uh, were harassing the, the, the patrons and Milk was saying, why are you doing this? Well, what's the point? And I remember one night um, uh, the cops were cute. So, of course, the queens are going, you know, making all kinds of, hey, baby, you know, all that so they call for backup as if, <laughs> so you could hear the, the police car in the background, you know, and Milk just you know, stayed his ground on that. And um, so he definitely was uh, someone that influenced me. And I told him um, brashly, um, I was in this uh, very, very left-leaning group called Bagel, Bay Area Gay Liberation, you know, and we took on the gay community when they were racist and, and transphobic, you know, we picketed the bar. The bars were very discriminatory. Yes. Um, in fact, my black friends used to say, ooh, it snowed in there. You know, it was mostly white guys, uh, and then they had policies, uh, you know, they would triple card people, they didn't want women. Yes. It got ridiculous, like they had these rules, no hats, and that was supposed to fever blacks, I don't understand. Uh, uh, no open-toed shoes that was supposed to be against women. I, it was it was just nuts. So Bagel, you know, we took on that. You know, and sometimes the the owners would go, "Well, we're gay too." You know, you should no, but you're ripping off people. Yeah. And sometimes they would uh, uh, there'd be an exit, and they would chain the exit so they could fit more people in. Um, and this was during an era when gay bars were were firebombed and people died. So. Um, that organization, uh, I think, helped form me a lot in, in, in terms of when I finally became elected. But I told Harvey, uh, why are you running for office? You know, they're all on the take. They're corrupt. I And he goes, well, you know, I think I can do both. I can be an activist and I can be elected and, and make change. And I said, okay, but I will never, ever run for office. <laughs> I am too pure. Yes. Well, you know, I think the murders kind of, kind of changed that. Yeah. And then um, I've, I've always been... Um, um, involved with labor issues even before I knew what the labor movement was. You know, my folks were, were uh, uh, you know, uh, poor by today's standards and uh, there was no union. My, my father was a cab driver and, uh, you know, he died suddenly uh, for lack of health care and there was no benefits, like nothing. And uh, my mother was uh, worked for the telephone company, Ma Bell in those days. So she, she was like the cafeteria lady. And then they fired her because she had bad uh, teeth. Huh. Uh, but they, they never, they didn't offer dental benefits or anything in those days, you know. Um, so I think that gave me some insight. So, you know, some of the, uh, some of the labor leaders, of course, you know, Cesar Chavez, particularly here, uh, in California and Dolores and Dolores Huerta, um, you know, it wasn't so much that I talked to people and they mentored me, but I, I, I read about their lives or I knew about them and I felt that I, that I have an affinity and, um, I also felt that the, uh, the LGBT issue was not on their radar. Right. Even, even, I mean, some of the extreme left was homophobic. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, you know, it was, always, it was a white disease uh, for bourgeois people. Never, never mind transgender. You know, um, so th those are some of the people you know that that influenced me. Cool. Well, you. Um, um well, I wanted to mention the domestic workers. Yeah, the domestic workers' yeah. bill of rights. Yeah. That's it's kind of. It's such a nice lead in for it because I was so glad you sponsored that bill. I, it's, uh, I love that bill. Um, so how 
how did you get involved in the bill and and where do you think we are with domestic workers' rights now? Yeah, I th- uh, well, I could start backwards. I think we're w- way better off than before. Um, I got involved because, you know, people come and they talk to you. And, of course, uh, here uh, we have the San Francisco Organizing Organization and, well, you know, who are already kind of standing up for the domestic worker. And, uh, you know, some of the my labor friends said, you know, they're not included. And, of course, it's part of the immigration movement, too, which, which is really sustainable, as you know. Um, so uh, I said, well, what are the state laws about this? And they pointed out, you know, the activists pointed out that, to me that uh, – Domestic workers were not covered in any way. You know, they, uh, there, there's a. Um, I'm blocking on the um, the pre- precise law, but there is a law that kind of includes everybody, but it doesn't include domestic workers. So at least you can go to the labor board and complain. Mm-hmm. Uh, they couldn't even do that. And then you know, it's also a women's issue. Mostly, it's women and mostly of color. You know, heavily Latina, but also Filipina, and of course African American. And you know, that movie came out to help. You know, to kind of show the patronization of of domestic workers and their second-class citizenship. Um, and then in New York State, they did have a law. It took um, a couple of years that offered some labor protections to domestic workers. So all that kind of came together uh, when I went to San, San Francisco. And they knocked on my door because they said everybody else had kind of shunned them. Mm-hmm. And you know, I said, well, let's go for it. And um, it was an interesting journey. You know, a lot of people go, well, you know, if you're too left, if you're too progressive, you can't do anything. Well, that's bullshit. You know, you can start conversations. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, poke people's consciousness. Um, you, you, there's a lot that can be accomplished. And one of the big, biggest obstacles was um, Jerry Brown. Mm. He was uh, he was very dismissive of this issue. And I tried to approach him on it a couple of times, and he had this kind of class blinders on and oh you know my aunt was dying and we paid this guy a lot of money just to give her an injection you know really 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 I, I hate it was was just a dumbass about it and but we 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 soldiered on and um uh, I think what happens in Sacramento and with legend they don't understand what a movement is so this wasn't just a piece of legislation this was part of a movement and uh people got very frustrated because, you know we we had people in the north and people in the south and you know how it is in the family we all disagree um, well let's do this strategy let's do that and um so the very very sad thing that happened was we got every we got it through the house uh, you know i was attacked that's a tactic they use they want to try to stop a bill from becoming a law or um, they go after the author so I I was became a pinata and oh you're gonna unionize well they hated unions anyway we're gonna unionize babysitters and you know one guy actually in the meeting said well you know the way this law is written if I have a babysitter I'm gonna have to take her home and then pick up another one and I don't want to miss a movie I mean you can't believe how shallow this shit is Um, and the people lobbying against it uh, you know we're very well connected and had a lot of money but again, um, the veto of the bill, which broke everybody's heart, and he, he fucking vetoed it at 11.30 at night, and the deadline was 12. So you had all these women outside the governor's office, you know, hoping that they, they, they did a Posada thing, I think. Um, anyway, he vetoed it. So there was a lot of frustration about that, a lot of anger, a lot of tears. 
uh, a lot of, um, I think, misunderstanding. So we had kind of a big meeting in Sacramento, and I said, what we need now, I'm going to introduce it again, fuck the governor, and uh, we're going to do everything we can. Um, it probably would be good to help me to have somebody, you know, hire somebody who will help me lobby for this. Not Chevron, not those kind of lobbies. Yeah. So there's a guy named Ignacio. He's a great guy, Hernandez, and he works for the Lawyers for Social Justice. And so he worked what they call, we he worked the building. And then... When it came to, and this is me addressing everybody, when it when it came to the differences, let's just say, to make it simple, Southern California wanted to do it this way and Northern California wanted to do it that way. I said, I, you know, I, I can't go forward with confidence if you don't settle your stuff. And uh, and I don't, and there's going to be some stuff we have to give up, but but not the core. And I said that that's that's how it looks like it's going to work. And I hope you will stay with me. Well, they did, and they did settle a lot of differences, and they did agree to certain languages that you know that that made it a little easier to get through without sat without selling out or or sacrificing. And then you know the individual lobbyists. So we were able to get that signature finally. Uh, and so it's not the bill that we wanted, but it's building blocks. Yes. And so now I think it's going to be in three years, it's supposed to go back and like expand it. So as long as the pressure is up and as long as they're, uh, you know, I'm gone now. Um, as long as there's people who agree and there were, there were many who came around the Latino caucus finally came around and all this, um, you know, I, I think we, that we have a great shot. Also, if Jerry Brown is still the governor, he has changed and I noticed with him that, um, you know, New York's law passed and then there's other other states that are now doing similar stuff. Uh, then he becomes uh, a little more uh, agreeable. If, well, if everybody else. So I don't think he'll be he would be an obstacle. And then, of course, the new the new governor, whoever that's going to be, should have their feet to the fire about this issue. Because, you know, a lot of times people give you lip service, but they don't produce. So. Yes. Anyway, it was it was a significant victory, yeah. but meaning the hard part really comes to really make it institutionalized and stay on the same page and all that. Um, and I was happy to be part of you know the beginning of that. So. Excellent. And I was curious also about your work with uh, police accountability mm. and working on that, which is so important, and I'm sure yeah. probably came across a lot of resistance. Yeah, you know, when I got on the board of supervisors, uh, things still weren't that great. Uh, and there had been a couple of shootings uh, by the police here in San Francisco. And, you know, there'd always been a bit of a rift, uh, an artificial distinction between the gay community and the black community. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it was kind of, uh, it wasn't fabricated, but the, the differences were, were simplistic. Um, but, you know, in doing outreach to the African-American community, this was something they had sympathy with and experience with. Uh, and even though they were we are wary of some of the gay leadership, et cetera, and so we were able to come together about police reform. And uh, so I did two things. I This is as a supervisor. I worked on a charter amendment, which increased the number, uh, looking at diversity, of, of the police commission uh, and took took all the appointments, uh, not all the appointments, but the mayor had all the appointments previously, the mayor's office, and so uh, they would just rubber stamp something and cover up a lot of stuff. So I um, uh, introduced a charter amendment 
uh, got the cops to go neutral on it. I still don't know how that happened. Uh, and that established an office of citizens' complaints, um, which you know is more impartial to police brutality and 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 uh, mis and uh, uh, bad behavior. And uh, there was uh, right before the vote. We had a lot of rogue cops in those days. We still have them, but you know, not as many. Um, cops raided, of all things, an AIDS fundraiser. I think it was called Visual AIDS, and it was at the stud. I don't know. And they had their um, what do you their names blocked out. Mm-hmm. And why they raided an AIDS fundraiser, I don't know. But that set off a firestorm. Even the people who were like a little conservative and everything. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, what the fuck. You know, and so um, that gave that ballot measure a boost and it passed overwhelmingly. And we do today have a very, very successful uh, citizen oversight of the police uh, and the commission is much more enlightened, uh, but there are still problems. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it's we're not starting at zero like we did before. That with The, the uh, citizens, uh, uh, the oversight uh, in those days was one guy who was pro-cop and uh, there was no budget. It was under the police budget, so they never funded him. They never gave him computers. So at least at least we have that. And it's looked upon as a model for many cities. Uh, but again, I don't want to get uh, uh, make it too rosy because sure. you know we still need to be in their face. And you know the whole t- taser issue, you know, uh, for instance. And uh, the police were not uh, enlightened in the days when they were. They, they didn't understand the media, and I don't think they understood the gay community. Mm-hmm. So when they came in, and because there was a peaceful demonstration and then beat up people, that made the news. Yes. And then other people who were apathetic said, wait, I don't like this part. You know what right. I mean? And uh, what would, they had a slogan. I can't something about good cop no donut. I, I it, it was it was. Oh yeah, bad cop. No yeah, donut. we had bad cop. Yeah. No. So we had a lot of fun with it too. Yeah, you know. And then uh, Dolores Huerta, you know, who's uh, well today, you know, a great 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 grandmother. She's eighty five years old. She's terrific. Be great to have her on here. Uh, she w- was uh, at a peaceful march uh, for for uh, labor rights, and uh, this cop just beat her. And uh, she had a, uh, removed her spleen, you know, she was like 5'2 and a grand, uh, and that was all on TV, you know. So the, the media paying attention, as much as we may have issues with, with the media, sure. there is some good there. Uh, and that, that also gave us a boost about police brutality. Then I'm in Sacramento and I find out, um, you know, because of term limits and other things, that nobody really wanted to take on the police. Mm-hmm. And so any bill you introduce, oh, you got watered down or, or, and I said, well, you know, fuck this. So um, I wanted to be on the, what they call the Public Safety Committee. Uh, and I, I was uh, able to uh, do that. And then I became the chair of the Public Safety Committee. And an Oscar Grant happened. So the Bar Police for years uh, had been uh, very, very, very bad when it came to the community. And I knew that from the BART station at 24th and the one at 16th, mm-hmm. um, there were two uh, cases of a black man being shot and killed by the BART police, some of whom were black. So, you know, there's no simple answers to all this. Uh, and that really pissed me off. And basically, I was told 
to fuck off because this is not a San Francisco issue. You know, we're BART. We're all over the Bay Area. Yeah, and it really frustrated me. And there was a a guy named uh, Tom Radulovich who was uh, on the BART commission. He was gay. And, you know, we went to him and other people, and uh, they were not interested. And so, you know, the final result was the Oscar Grant case in in the sense of no, who's watching the store here. So I did a big uh, hearing and uh, had Bart come up and the police chief left because he he had, was corrupt. Uh, and I had a very strong um, piece of legislation that would have taken, uh, uh, would have given Bart citizen oversight and would also give us the ability in the state. Uh, there's some funny law that actually because BART is interregional or whatever, that the California Highway Patrol is in charge of their, uh, you know, and uh, codes of conduct and standards and training uh, and all that. And it was uh, it was watered down uh, by a representative of that area in the assembly and um, working with the police who had supported his election. And uh, man, was I pissed. This is my first year. I stood up on the floor and ranted and raved, you know. Uh, And the the BART board itself was very um, unwilling uh, uh, to be helpful. So basically what they did is they killed my bill and came up with another one that didn't was not that effective. Uh, so today what we have is an improvement and a recognition that the cops were out of hand. I'm, I'm even asking, do we need police on the BART? You know, mm-hmm. do we, you know, can, can the local police force? And the one thing we have to understand about the police is that they are not uh, monolithic. And there's lots of rivalries and lots of internal politics and, you know, uh, whose jurisdiction is it? You know, if, if, if the bar police come in, then San Francisco police don't go in. And then uh, the bar police get like all the overtime and uh, the territorial thing, um, you know, and then there are people who are bought out. From, from different communities, whether they're communities of color or not. And they go, you know, that Amiano Bill, you know, he's a gay guy. I mean, I had everything thrown at me. You know, it's none of his business. And, you know, um, and then, of course, um, you know, the Oscar Grant trial, you know, did happen. And everybody pointed fingers at each other without coming together and saying, look, this is systemic. Yes. We, we should really look at it. So, yeah, anyway, you get it, you know, so. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that kind of goes into another question, which is in terms of like how to deal with bullying, whether it be in politics. And then also you're a comedian. Yeah. And Molly and I have also just done comedy as well. And I think we both agree that the the jokes, the punchline should be made upwards. You know, you make the jokes at the expense of the oppressive classes. Yeah, that's always been the the case. Yeah. And so, however, like within politics as well as within the comedy scene, sometimes there are folks who kind of want to maintain the status quo. And will even attack you. Yes. If you if you question them or call them out on their shit. So I'm curious about um, well, tactics you, that you've used. Yeah. Well, the bullying part, you know, um, I think, um, you know, was very personal for me because you know I grew up in the '50s and I've always had the shit beat out of me and had to get really creative about, you know, and it was usually like five, right? You know, five bigger guys and there I was a little queen, you know, weighed 32 pounds or something. And uh, no no relief from the school. Uh, in fact, one of the teachers was very homophobic, and I used to get, uh, and everybody has stories like this, but, you know, I, they'd put you up against a wall, and it'd be like the four or five jocks, and then the teacher, and then to give you the rabbit punches, you know, in your kidneys. Hey, how you doing? 
And, you know, you had such, uh, remember the 50s, you had no support. Um, uh, you had shame. You know, you really believed that you were the fucked up one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you didn't want to go to your family because you were embarrassed. Plus, you know, they were working hard trying to put food on the table. I mean, just it's like another issue. Uh, but it, it uh, again, those things can go one way or the other. And for me, it was fortunate. I just continue to get pissed off yes. and really want, you know, if, if I had to leave, I, I left, which I did. I left New Jersey when I was 20 and came to San Francisco. Uh, so it was very hard in the beginning to get people to acknowledge that this bullying happened. I taught school right here in the mission. Uh, I started in 68 and um, uh, I saw it on the playground and uh, name calling and I heard it in the teacher's uh, lunchroom and everything and it just, it you know, I was supposed to be a teacher. How could I endorse this? And it, it, it's a lie. Yeah. And you would get a lot of, you know, don't rock the boat, la, 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 et cetera, and so, so forth. That's how I joined this lefty league. You know, this was all around 1970. And, uh, you know, I made bullying an issue in school. And we did get a little policy of um, uh, na- about name calling. You know, we tried to approach it that way. And then I ran for school board. Yes. Yeah. And that... It was a, we always make a joke. I was the first openly gay on the school board. And that was a pretty much rubber stamp. You know, they always didn't have enough money, which in some cases well, there was truth, but they, they wouldn't deny a certain programs that money. They would deny things like LGBT curriculum or even in those days, bilingual was very controversial. You know, it all has this race. I always say, you know, race, racism, homophobia, it all serves the same master, you know. So uh, on the school board, I was able to be pretty, pretty outspoken. And with the teacher background, I knew my way around educational policy. So I didn't just silo the LGBT issue. Uh, and so today, uh, you know, we do have a, a counseling program and uh, the safety issue for a lot of kids is um, transgender as, as well as openly gay is better, but it's not perfect. Uh, we don't have an openly gay person on the school board currently. Um, uh, there's been some members who have been very, very good about it. But, you know, when I was on it, they would give lip service about all this. Uh, what I used to confront them and say... Uh, so, you know, did you see in the paper where that student was beaten up and uh, has brain damage? Oh, yeah, it was terrible. Well, do you endorse that? Well, no, of course not. Well, then when you say we don't need a program, when you say we don't want a school named after Harvey Milk, when you say the, the, the head of the PTA came once in the uh, in the 90s when I was on there and said uh, what you're proposing is child molestation because, we you know, we were educating men. Yeah, it was bad. We kicked the Boy Scouts out. I was very proud of that because, you know, they're so homophobic and that made the national use. And I was doing comedy at the same time. And my comedy was always topical and political. Yes. You can imagine uh, Reagan and Bush. I mean, they, they were, it's like Ugh. Donald Trump. You can go crazy with it. Ugh. And so we, we started Gay Comedy Night at the uh, Valencia Rose, uh, which is now, was New College. I, I'm, I think it's a restaurant now, but it had been a mortuary. And the and I, the, the fellows uh, Hank Wilson and Ron Lanza, um, who ran uh, helped run Valencia Rose, said, "Well, w- would you like to do something?" And I, I knew them from from Bagel. I said, "Yeah, I like to do like gay comedy." And they said, "Well, what's what's gay comedy?" I said, "Well, I don't know, but let's try it." You know, so um, we had a gay comedy night, and we attracted people who would be open, and we had little politically correct barometer because you know if. When you were openly gay in those days, probably even now in some places, 
and you went to the comedy clubs. Comedy was big here for a long, for maybe ten years. Yeah, and moved out of L.A. So uh, you would um, uh, hear fag jokes, but you couldn't hear you couldn't hear a fag making a joke. Right. So I went to this place called the Holy City Zoo, and I started to say, "Oh, homophobia! You know what that is? The irrational fear. Three fags they break into your house, redecorate against you." Well, I was never given the opportunity. Because people shouting and throwing things at you and all, I never, you know, to really develop the craft. And I think that's where, when I said to Ron and, and Hank, I don't know, why don't we do like gay comedy? That that's what I was thinking. I mean, we didn't even know how to use a mic because we didn't have a mic in the beginning. We didn't have the money for a mic. Uh, but it all evolved. You know, Marco Gomez came from there. Oh yeah, Le- Le- Leah Delaria. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were they were heady days. But you know, everything is money, and so the Valencia Rose because we nickel dimed everything. So the Valencia Rose closed, and for a couple of years there was really no place to go. Some of the gay ones w- went to the straight clubs and just weren't open anymore. Mm-hmm. And I got denied a lot of. Um, uh, gigs because of that. Uh, the guy who ran the, the other cafe was gay himself. I didn't even know. And he told me, you, um, well, I don't think we're going to hire you because, you know, AIDS is happening. This was in the 80s. Mm. And I think it'll make people uncomfortable if they say, you know. And um, I, so I did some a very obscene gesture with the microphone. I said, and here, you know. Uh, and then there was a show on Channel 9 called KQEDO, uh, Comedy Tonight, one of those. And they would hire local comedians and then uh, pay them. And then they would, what do you call that word? Sync, uh, what's that word? Not synchronize, syndicate. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the guy and I said, you know, I want to do it. I've been doing it now for years. Oh, well, no, no, no. You know, and, and then one time he said, well, we did. We, we had somebody gay on. And I said, who? Well, they had this woman named Kate Clinton, but they cut out all her stuff. Uh. And so she said, her, her gay line was, hi, thanks for coming out. So if you didn't know what the hell she was saying, and then she, you know, she was a very funny woman. It wasn't her fault. And then uh, even Marga, you know, uh, they, they liked Marga, but they kept saying to, to me and the gay community, look, we hired Marga. I said, yeah, but you don't use her gay material. Mm. You know, oh, well, you know, because they wanted syndication in Texas and, you know, places that would not accept it. So uh, it was a bitch, really, uh, you know, trying to keep afloat and, and, and have a career. And then the same uh, characters, uh, my dear, dear late friends, Ron Lanza and Hank Wilson, came up with the idea for Josie's uh, Juice Joint. And uh, that also took off. So we had gay comedy night then, and we, we even got paid. Oh, my God, we got paid. Yeah. Of course, we go to the bar and drink. What? What happened to the 20 bucks? Uh, we were so happy that we got paid. Um, and then, you know, they introduced Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, it wasn't uh, strictly a, a queer space, but it was a queer space that was open if, as long as you weren't an asshole, you know. And so Lipsinka, all, all these people, uh, Charles Bush, uh, um, so it was uh, very, and they were very permissive. If I said, I think I'd like to do a show. Fine. You know, they'd book you like in advance and then you'd come up with the show. So it wasn't like you had to sell yourself. So uh, it, it was really, I guess, an indulgence. But, you know, we got good and uh, the place was very successful. Uh, and uh, towards the end, again, nobody had good business sense. It was all nickel dime, and yeah. uh, so it finally had to fold. So there's really no queer space like that. Yeah. And maybe uh, there will be. You know, I don't. Uh, I'm not much for nostalgia, but you know, uh, it, w- it really gave us so much permission. Yes. You know, and it did impact the straight comedy world, and now there are 
openly gay uh, and lesbian comics. I think there's a, a, a transgender. Com- you know, in oh, yeah. comedy, you'll find everything, and that's what I love about it. Yes. And to your point of people not wanting to be called out, there were deeply closeted oh, comics, yeah. right? And they were the worst, uh, the worst. And a lot of them were women. It was Paula Poundstone. Oh, God, who was there? There was a woman named Margaret Smith or Matt. She had that, like, deadpan humor. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell. Um, There's a woman named Marsha Warfield. Oh, I, yeah, she, she was on Night Court. Yeah, she was on Night Court. They were like, you know how people, but they were the last man. But they were not out. Mm-hmm. And if I came, there was another guy named Barry Sobel. Oh, you know, yeah. I thought if his wrists were any, they're almost as loose as mine, you know, they're going to cause a windstorm here. I, you know, hi, how you doing? Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah. Hi, how you doing? They'd split. Give me a dirty mm. look, you know, because I made him uncomfortable, oh. uh, just like some of the gay teachers. Ellen DeGeneres, you know, she was well thought of, but joked about. You know, I mean, all of us, well, she's a dyke, you know. So the straight men and everything, they, they would kind of admit that she, well, she's funny, you know. But isn't it a shame? Isn't it a pity? Because she talked about her boyfriend or whatever the shit was, you know. And uh, I remember we had Comedy Day in the park. And uh, at that time, it was very, very successful. And I got to give a shout out to Jose Simone, who was a straight comic, who's... Uh, uh, dead about three years now, uh, who came to see Gay Comedy Night, even with all the prejudice. And he's, um, he came backstage and he said, you know, you guys are funny. That's all I care about. Do you want to do Comedy Day in the park? So um, TMI here. Anyway, I was nervous. It was July. It was hot. There was 3,000 people. I was the only openly gay one. Robin Williams was there. Ellen DeGeneres, all the names. They would come by. And then I go, oh, and Tom Amiano. So I start my routine about being gay and everything. And you can see it on the videotape. Uh, part of the crowd started to throw ice. So I'm telling my, but I don't see it, uh, you know. Yeah. I'm, but then they're going, faggot, faggot, faggot. That I heard. Uh-uh. And I thought, I made some joke, you know, Mr. Fag to you or something. Yeah. And so then you own the audience back, you know. So yeah. that, that was that. And I went backstage and there was Ellen DeGeneres. And I say, hey, how you doing? She goes, oh, that was a good set. You know, they, everybody always says that. Uh, and I said, well, what's up? And she goes, look. So she had a little Volkswagen, and it was all packed. And she said, I'm off to L.A. And so I didn't say anything about gay. You know, it's yeah. just, like, well, you know. And I guess that's, you know, where her, where her career started, you know. But the closet ones were the biggest obstacle. I think that's probably a rule of thumb for most stuff. Yeah, you know, I've found that just in in life, daily life, not just for comedians, but for people I encounter, I feel like it's coming from the people who are the most cruel. It's coming from a place of their own insecurity. Thank you. Yeah, they, yeah. They like we're mirrors for each other, and they see something in us that they can't quite no, accept no, in themselves. Well, do you encourage violence? No, no, no. What you do, you know, that's what you know. Uh, the, the, our our archbishop with all his crap, and Rush Limbaugh, and and those Republican candidates, the. The resp- I lay responsibility for the violence and the murders on their words, and they would be freaked out, wouldn't they? Well, no, I'm not saying that. Yes, you are saying yes. that, because there's always some crazy fuck out there who's going to go, well, look, he said it, and he's running for president, or, well, yeah. he's the archbishop, so he knows. So, uh, you know, they need to be held accountable. Absolutely. For every time someone is attacked, name-called, spit on, has their kids taken away. Um, so. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I have a request for you. I'm teaching a class uh, at Skyline College, uh, not to put you on the spot, uh, History of LGBT. Oh, very cool. And uh, it goes till December. If we talk later... Yes. This week or something? Yes. Maybe we could arrange for you to come out. That would be wonderful. I'd they, love to. They, yeah. uh, I, I brought, it's a small class. All right, members of the public. It's a small class, but, you know, they're learning a lot. And yeah. I, I uh, took them to the LGBT Center. And um, Brianna, uh, is a transgendered woman, mm-hmm. uh, came. She even sang opera oh, for yes, them. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, Brianna Sinclair. Yeah, yes. So uh, uh, they got a taste of that. But I, I, I'd like them to know more. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's basically, you know, telling your story and all. And um, I think it's really good. And uh, one of them came in and because uh, I asked them when you're reading the newspaper on the net, if you see anything that pertains to the class, let me know. And there's always something, you know, the Mormons want to take away the kids. And so they came in with this petition. Well, you know, an article about a gay man who has a petition to, to drop the, the tea. tea. I said, well, thank you for bringing this to my yes. attention. So, yeah. you know, I gave him the lecture about what uh, I mean, they weren't endorsing it but they wanted to share it so I think that would even be you know anyway we'll work on Absolutely. it maybe you can do it that'd be great yeah. and also if you'd like to promote your podcast as well yes uh, Tim Redman and I Tim Redman from uh, the Bay Guardian yeah. fame and now does a blog called 48 Hills yes and yes. I do a weekly podcast uh, you know it's political commentary uh, on uh, most li- mostly contemporary uh, uh, not always kind to our elected officials and uh, there you are uh, and uh, you can see it on my Facebook mm-hmm. which is Tom Amiano we post it on that every Thursday usually okay. and then on the 48 Hills uh, so give it uh, give it a listen. Oh, KPFA has recently uh, agreed to broadcast the, the podcast. Awesome. I think they have a, po- a podcast program or a mm-hmm. web page or a platform or, yeah, I'm just learning, you know, yeah. so, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you again so much for yeah, coming Yeah, I hope in. that was worth it. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We'll play some music and we'll be back up to finish up the show. So thanks again, Tom Amiano. And thank we'll be you. back in a little bit. Thanks for bringing up domestic workers. You know. oh, There's yeah. so much you know you forget. You know. Yeah. And I- if we don't heal ourselves, how can we make it?
Want you to witness, baby. Witness. Want you to witness, baby. Want you to witness, babe, so that I can unburden my heart. I can let down my guard. Oh, please be my friend. I'm trying to let you in to unburden my heart. Don't want you to speak now, baby. I just need you to hold my hand and keep your eyes on me, baby. I don't care if you understand. And I your So I believe you've heard all I've said. So, baby, and I need to be consoled. Oh, I want you to witness, baby. Witness. I want you to witness, baby. Witness. I want you to witness, babe, so that I can unburden my heart. I can let down my. Or your righteous indignation Oh, you know, I'm not a child So no well-intentioned education Do's and don'ts, baby Won't help this here situation Just your cool arms around me Quell this conflagration Oh, heavy burdens can weigh down your heart down your Make it heart. difficult to catch your breath catch your You breath. don't know where to start And your smile will cross your lips And the sun can't find your eyes Find your Love eyes Unburden
heavy Cause they're heavy Won't last always So I'm easy About being heavy pass the heavy uh, heavy gonna pass, pass over, over the heavy uh, Mamiano for coming in. That was a great discussion, and I am just so happy that we we're able to speak to him. Yep. 
Huh. Tom Amiano, yeah. a San Francisco treasure. Yes, and talking it's, about politics and comedy and like my favorite things and LGBT activism. Oh. Yep. Well, hopefully he's hanging out with his grandchildren now or yeah. doing something else. Yes. That was awesome. Uh, we are off. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, um, we played music by Monica McIntyre from the new album Morning to the Moonlight. Um, you can find her online, uh, find her music that way. Uh, she's been on the show before and just a really lovely and amazing artist and mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, thanks so much for for, <laughs> for tuning in. Uh, I think we're done with the, with the news today. We got to a few things that were worth covering and just wanted to leave on a really high note with that great conversation with, with Tom Amiano. So stay tuned because Global Val will be coming in next with Women's Magazine, followed by the Common Thread Collective. Woohoo! And it's Diamond Dave's birthday, or was his birthday earlier, and he's having a little get-together at Adobe Books tonight. It's also the Transgender Film Festival. So there's a screening tonight of Major tonight at 7.30 at the Castro Theater. And there's also uh, shorts that are going to be played later at the Roxy Theater. So check those out. And uh, keep listening to Mutiny Radio. We've got shows here all the time, music, comedy, politics, uh, extraterrestrial, the UFO, um, Chuck Weiss's show. So there's like a whole lot of great things happening here at the station. So yeah, thanks again so much for listening. And Molly, if you'd like to impart any words of wisdom. Uh, Just have a wonderful week. Enjoy every moment. Every moment is the most important moment that you have ever lived. So grab onto it like that. Have a beautiful, beautiful day. I love you. And uh, we will talk to you later. Bye-bye.
safe and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby! Good, because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again! And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive pharmaceutical free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com
Join us every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. for Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse here on Mutiny Radio. I'm your host, Pam Benjamin, bringing you the best of San Francisco's underground comedy scene here every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. It's only $2. You can bring your own beer and listen to comedy here every Friday, 8 to 10 p.m., 21st in Florida. It's MutinyRadio.fm. The House of Pride radio show, LGBT radio for everyone. Funky interviews, funky beats, talking drag queens, and much, much more. It's LGBT radio for everyone. Listen live every Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. House of Pride Radio, LGBT radio for everyone. Celebrating the considerable contributions of the LGBT community in San Francisco and beyond. Every Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. Listen here for hot new local beats by LGBT artists and listen to live interviews. Tune in. Turn on every Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. House of Pride Radio with drag queen personalities, Tweeka Turner and Pearl T. Are you sick of reading the news? Do you even bother to read the news anymore? Do you need someone to read it to you because it's just so disgusting and depressing? If so, then the Weekly Review is the show for you. Join Roman Reimer as Roman reads the news, whether it be LGBTQ issues, cannabis legalization, prison abolition, police brutality, or many other issues that sometimes the media just doesn't feel the need to cover. Listen in, Fridays at noon, Mutiny Radio. Roman's also joined by activists, community organizers, artists, and many other great folks working to make the world a better place. Have no fear. The news is here. And if you feel like yelling about it, well then Roman will be yelling with you. The Weekly Review, Fridays at noon, on Mutiny Radio. Hello, comrades. This is your comrade, Zach Wiseman, host of government-sponsored program, Communist Folding Chairs, mandated by the Kremlin to occur every Monday, 2 to 4 p.m., broadcast by our comrades at mutinyradio.fm. Sit, relax, listen to my comrades in stand-up comedy march honorably through their cold, balanced sets, and other comrades make fun of them. Because in Mother Russia, if you can't laugh about starving for turnip and beet, and attention, you are a capitalist pig, and the KB, KGB will visit you shortly. Every Monday, 2 to 4 p.m. Miren, miren! Es un pájaro? Es un avión? No! Looking to invest in the future of your community? MutinyRadio.fm and the Boys and Girls Club Mission Clubhouse needs your help. Please donate to keep the Radio Classroom Institute right now alive on the air every Thursday from 4.50 to 5.50 p.m. Donations are tax deductible. Donate online at 
www.muniradio.fm or just stop by the station at 21st Street and Florida. That's 2781 21st Street and throw some cash in the big glass jar. Stop by to experience live audience friendly shows every day of the week and know that you're supporting the future of the mission by keeping free speech alive for all ages. This PSA is brought to you by your friends and community partners at muniradio.fm. Hi, I'm Chuck Weiss. If you're an old baby boomer like me, pain is probably something you've learned to live with by now. Yes, there are drugs on the market that help, but they come with side effects and shouldn't be used for extended periods of time. But fortunately, there is an effective natural pain reliever available in this state, medical cannabis. Let me tell you about Alta California Botanicals. They're a manufacturer of fine cannabis tinctures. Now you can take your medication in liquid form, much more discreet than pulling out a pipe and lighting up. Alta California Botanicals offers five different formulations, each one addressing a specific medical concern. There are two that are designed for pain, one to be swallowed, of course, and a new one for external use only. I'm going to have to try that one myself on my arthritic fingers. There's a tincture for stress and one for anxiety. They'll certainly keep you mellow. And there's even one for people who suffer from MS. The cannabis tinctures from Alta California Botanicals come in one half ounce bottles. Each batch is laboratory tested and certified free of pesticides and mold. In other words, completely natural and unadulterated. Alta California Botanicals doesn't sell directly to the public, of course, but if you visit their website at Alta, A-L-T-A, CaliforniaBotanicals.com and enter your zip code, they'll give you a list of dispensaries near you that keep their tinctures in stock. Now here's a tip for the holiday season. Keep a couple of extra bottles of the stress formula handy. It'll help maintain your cool amongst all that shopping madness. I'm Chuck Weiss for AltaCaliforniaBotanicals.com. Do you have a great idea for a product or service but don't know where to start? Are you looking to expand your current business? Women's Initiative of San Francisco began its business management training program for low-income, high-potential women in 1988. To attend a free orientation on how you can achieve your dream of starting your own business, or for more information, please contact 415-641-3460 or visit womensinitiative.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Planned Parenthood is a trusted healthcare provider, an informed educator, a passionate advocate, and a global partner helping similar organizations around the world. Planned Parenthood delivers vital reproductive health care, sex education, and information to millions of women, men, and young people worldwide. For nearly 100 years, Planned Parenthood has promoted a common-sense approach to women's health and well-being based on respect for each individual's rights to make informed, independent decisions about health, sex, and family planning. Please visit PlannedParenthood.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. The Berkeley Free Clinic was founded in 1969 as a street medicine clinic, but quickly found a permanent home in the Berkeley community. It has become an icon in the area and has served countless thousands in a variety of ways during its 45-year history. 
fees have never been charged for any services, materials, medications, or supplies provided at the Berkeley Free Clinic. Income has been generated solely via individual or organizational donations and government programs. To volunteer your time or to make a donation, or for more information, visit berkeleyfreeclinic.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Meals on Wheels is dedicated to fostering independent living for San Francisco seniors by providing hot, nutritious meals delivered to their homes. They're committed to fostering independent living for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. insomnia, anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite? I'm going to guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby! Good! Because I'm so excited by this that I may 